This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Before we go towards Shavuos, and that's what I want to speak about tonight. So this is what it says. It says like this. Uparo Hikriv. And Paro got close. But if you want to look it up, it's in Perik Yudal. It starts with Pasuk Yud. But Yishu B'nei Yisrael Nehem. And the Jews lifted up their eyes. Behold, Mitzrayim was behind them. But Yerumod, they were very scared. Between a, a what is it called? Between a a, a hard a, a, a hard rock and a hard place, something like that, right? So they're stuck. They're stuck, um, and they're very they're very scared. They began to scream to Hashem. And then by they said to Moshe, which they said many times. Hamibli in Kvarn Mitzrayim, aren't there enough, enough graves in Mitzrayim? Look Achtanu Lomas Midbar. You took us to kill us in the Midbar. Mazlitz Asisulanu. What did you do to us, Leitzinu Mitzrayim, that you took us out of Mitzrayim? Halaytza Adav Hashem Dibanu Elecha. The Bnei Yisrael are telling us to Moshe Beno. Isn't this what we told you? In Mitzrayim and Mitzrayim, it would have been good enough in the Avdes Mitzrayim to leave us as slaves. Kitav Lano Avdes Mitzrayim. We move to Midbar. It's better for us. To be slaves in Mitzrayim, then to take us out in the midbar. We're stuck. Behind us, we have a bunch of Meshagam Egyptians shooting arrows and, 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 and spears and, and cannibals, whatever they were shooting at them, right? And in front of us is, is, uh, is, uh, is the, what's it called? Is, is the Yamsuf. We're stuck. It would be better if we would have died in the midbar. Okay. So they're panicking. They're in a total panic. So Moshe calms them down. And he says to them, Altiro, don't get nervous. Stand still, and you will see the saving of Hashem. What God's going to do for you today? Like you see Mitzrayim today, the biggest nation in the world, controlling the whole world. You'll never see them again like this because they're going to be destroyed. Hashem God will fight for you. And you remain silent. Don't don't get crazy. Don't get nervous. Don't pick up weapons. Don't shoot back at them. Just relax. Relax. Hashem will do all the work. Okay, so far so good. Now comes the problem. Pasik Tezvav. Hashem Moshe. And Hashem says to Moshe, Ma Titzak Eli. Why are you crying to me, Moshe? Dabel B'nei Yisrael. Don't talk to me, talk to the Jews. Be so, and tell them to travel. So everybody asks the same question. Moshe is stuck. B'nai Israel is stuck behind them on the mitzvah. In front of them is the yam. Moshe Rabbeinu starts to daven Hashem, right? Instead of Hashem saying, "I'm a kabbal yitfila," I'm going to split the yam. Hashem says, "What are you doing? What are you doing? Why are you praying? Stop praying." Hashem, if we're stuck, what are we? What are we taught as children or, or as adults? When things are bad, right? When you're stuck and you're in trouble, what do you do? You daven Hashem. So Hashem is yelling at Moshe Rabbeinu, "Matitzakelai, why are you davening to me?" Stop davening, let's go, yallah, no, you know, stop praying. So it's very hard to understand, what do you mean? That's what I'm supposed to be doing, I'm supposed to be praying. Why are you yelling at me? Why are you yelling at me that I'm praying? That's what I'm supposed to be doing. Okay, so when we don't understand something, what do we do? We look at Rashi. So we, let's see what Rashi says. Rashi actually makes it a lot harder to understand. Rashi, Pasik Tesvav. Ma Eli, why are you crying to me, said Hashem? Says Rashi, Lamadnu. To teach us. That Moshe was standing in front of the sea and he was praying. God said to him, Now's not the time to be davening. 
Why? Why isn't now the time, says Rashi, why isn't it the right time to be davening? See Yisrael, because the Jews are in trouble. Rashi, you're making it even worse. Hashem is saying, now is not the time to daven. Why? Because the Jews are in trouble. If the Jews are in trouble, it is the right time to daven. So Rashi makes it even worse. But that's not bad enough. Rashi goes even further. Dova Acher, says Rashi, I want to tell you a different shot, a different explanation. Ma, titzek elai. Hashem said, why are you, why are you screaming to me? Alai hadava taloi. Hashem said, you think it's up to me to save you? Below alecha, it's up to you to save you. So what Rashi is saying over here is that God told the Jews and Moshe Rabbeinu, I cannot help you. What are you crying to me for? I cannot help you. Moshe Rabbeinu, don't cry to me. Cry to them. The Jews can do a miracle and split the yam. I cannot. So what the Pasuk and Rashi is telling us that at this point by the Yamsuf, for some reason God did not have the power, which he has the power to do anything, but he didn't have the power to split the Yam. And God told Moshe Rabbeinu, I can do nothing, I can't help you. you. You want the Yam to split? Talk to them, don't talk to me. Which sounds very blasphemous that a human being can think that we can do something that God cannot do. But that's what happened over here. God told Moshe Rabbeinu, you can do something that I cannot do, I cannot help you. So what's going on over here? There's a very big secret and a very, very big lesson to be learned. And this is the secret. So, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is, and this is what I think a lot of people don't understand this, God is MS. He is the ultimate truth. And He is Din. He's the ultimate judge. He has two thrones, so to say. Kisei Rachamim, a throne of pity, which doesn't depend on truth, and a kisei din, which totally depends on truth. So, minhad din, on the, on the, when God was sitting on his throne of MS, and the Jews came to the Yam at this point where this passage is speaking, we were stuck. Why? Because the Yamsuf, who was created with a nature of water, which doesn't split, right? It freezes, it doesn't split. So, the Yamsuf said to Hashem, you want me to break my nature, right? So, you want me to do a miracle. What's a miracle? A miracle is when you break nature, right? Fly, whatever, you do something that's not natural. Something that's natural is not a miracle, even though it is, but we don't look at it as human beings as a miracle. Something that breaks nature, right? So, the, the, the Yamsuf, the Malach of the Yamsuf said, if I break my nature for the Jews, then I have to break my nature and stay split for the Mitzrim to come through. Why? Because the Jews are not any better. We're going to take them to court. The Jews served idols and the Mitzrim served idols. So on the Kisei of Din, on the throne of Emes, God could not have the Yam split because we did not deserve it any more than the Mitzvah. So, let me tell you what God told us, a very big secret. And He told us, when I'm on my Kisei of Din, I cannot do a miracle for you, because you don't deserve it. But you could force me to do a miracle. So I'll explain to you, I'll explain to you what I'm saying. So I did a class, I, I must have been the first class I ever gave in Ornava. I don't think any of you were here at the time. Um, 
and the girls had asked me to give a class on Ayin Hara. Right? Is Ayin Hara real? What's with the red string? A lot of people learned that if you don't believe in Ayin Hara, it can't affect you, but if you do believe in Ayin Hara, it can affect you. So I was thinking, could you find out the truth and find out? So I spent two months and a lot, a lot of work and hours to, to learn about Ayin Hara. It's pretty fascinating. And there's no question that it's not an old wives' tale, and it's not a bunch of Sephardic Kabbalah that, you know, people believe in, and it's not superstition. For there is a Rashi. There's more than one Rashi. For there's a Rashi in, um, in the story of Evayera, actually, that where, where Sarah gave birth, and then she asked that Yishmol should be thrown out of the house. And the Pasuk says the following. Avram woke up in the morning, he took bread, and a pitcher of water, and he gave it to Hagar. She put the water and the bread on her shoulder, and she put Yishmol on her shoulder too. Now that bothers Rashi. Yishmol was a little boy at this point. I think he was, a, not a boy, he was a 13 or 14. Why would his mother carry him why wouldn't he walk, right? So this bothers Rashi. Now, if you're going to say he was sick, there was no sickness in the world until Yaakov Avinu. People used to sneeze and die. Imagine if you had an allergy, you're done, right? No, it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean every time you sneezed, you died. But there was one sneeze that your neshama would leave, and you would die on the spine, and you wouldn't get sick, and you wouldn't have time to do tshuva and say goodbye to your children and your family. So what, has, what Yaakov Avinu davened for sickness, so people shouldn't die just all of a sudden. That's why we say, bless you when a person sneezes, because before Yaakov Avinu, you sneezed, and you, not when you sneezed, you died. When you died, you sneezed. Okay, because otherwise, what do you mean? You, the guy had a, had a you know, three-year-old kid sneeze, he died? No, but, but that's how you died. You sneezed. So, there was no sickness in the world. So it's bothering Rashi. If there was no sickness in the world, why did she carry Yishmael on her shoulders? Why didn't he walk? So listen to this Rashi. All those who don't believe there's such a thing as Ayin Hara, right? So Rashi says on this part of Yudale the following. Interesting, very fascinating. Most people don't know this Rashi. Hayeled, says Rashi. Af Hayeled, even the child, the young boy, some al shechma she put on her shoulders. Why? Shehechnisa by Sarah, because Sarah put into Hagar ayin ra, an ayin hara. Ba'achzosoi chama, and Yishmal got fever. First time you ever saw the word fever in Rashi. V'lo yochol leilach baraglav, and he could not walk. And therefore, even though there was no sickness in the world, but sickness. That comes, thank you, the sickness that comes from Ayin Hara always existed. That's one Rashi about Ayin Hara, okay? Then there's another Rashi which is much scarier, and the Rashi says, I think it's in the end of Pasha Mishpatim, and Rashi says that the second Luchos that we got, Hashem did it, it was very quiet. The first Luchos, Koylois, Ubrakim, and fire, and thunder, and the, and the Gemara says that the whole world was shaking, and the Goyim came to Bilam, and they asked him, what's going on over here? So there was a huge light show, music show, whatever you want to say, it was a production. The first Luchos Hashem made a production, right? She says this. And the world gave the Luchos an Ayin Hara. That's what Rashi says. Why? Because the world said, I'll, I'll explain to you how Ayin Hara works. The world said, 
Why do they deserve it? The Jews, and we don't, right? And the luchos were broken. The second luchos, Rashi says, Hashem said, I'm going to make sure I do it very quietly. Hashem, I'm going to give them the luchos. No lightning, no thunder, no earth shaking. Just Moshe come up and bring it down. So something, this is very scary. I remember when I gave this in this year. Something that was created by God's hands, which should be forever, because whatever he creates is forever, was able to be broken because of Ayin Hara. That's the strength of Ayin Hara. Now, the red string business, right, is a business. So let me tell you what the whole red string is all about. So Ayin Hara works like this. Wasn't there one more place with Yaakov was leaning and he came with all the sons they went through different doors? Right, so they shouldn't get Ayin Hara. No, I, right, that also said they shouldn't get Shonet Lichlas Ayin Hara. They came in 12 different doors. He said they were spies, right? They came in 12 different doors. And also that Asa was also the way he set them up. You, you have to be very careful with this. But anyway, what's this red string business, right? So let me tell you how Ayin Hara works. Let's say... Um, yesterday I gave a share and a boy drove up in a Maserati. I love cars, right? And he drove up in a Ma- brand new Maserati. And I'm like, Hashem, this guy, he, he hangs out. He talks to girls. I don't think he goes to Minion. He doesn't put a in. Why'd you give him a Maserati and me, Robert Wallstein, I give Shurim, you didn't give me a Maserati. Why does this kid deserve a Maserati more than me? That is the ultimate eye in horror. But, if I walked outside and I saw his Maserati, I'm like, wow, nice car, wish I had one. It's not Ayin Hara. It's fine. You don't want to want to have something that someone else has. That doesn't hurt the other person. But when you look at the other person and say, like, why, did she, why is she engaged? I'm, I'm much older than her. And, and she's, not a, she's not such a good girl. And how come I'm not engaged? That is an Ayin Hara. When you see someone get engaged and you're like, oh, I wish I was engaged, that's not an Ayin Hara. Now, what's the difference? So the mechanics of an Ayin Hara works like this. If I look at this boy and I say, why does he have a Maserati and I don't? So my Malach, my Malach, right? Everybody has a Malach that represents you. Goes to Shemayim and calls for Din, Hashem, get on your, get on your Din, on your chair of Din. Now, let's pull out this kid's, this boy's books and see why he deserves a Maserati and Wallerstein didn't get a Maserati. He did. Now, the minute they open up your books, the Dunsky. It's like an IRS audit. You never want them to open up your books because you're just not going to do well because we're not perfect. So there's going to be a lot of stuff in those books that we don't like. So even though Hashem, it's unbelievable, even though Hashem knows what you did wrong and it's in the book, as long as they don't bring it in a court case, he doesn't have to, it's like a, it's like a father, like we don't have to look at it. It's here, we don't, we don't know about it. Hello, right? But if you come up to me and you say, Brother Wallstein, how come... She got this mark and I had the same thing and I got it wrong and she got it right. I have to answer. So as long as nobody bothers me, nobody needs to know. So in Shemayim, even though God knows it, it's not in front of the court, he doesn't have to paskin on it. Right? So as long as you don't have the audit, if you get away with 10 years, no audit, even though you didn't really cheat but you have little things, you got away with it. But once they open up your books, anyone who they open up their books is going to be in trouble. Okay. So, when I say, why does this girl have, why is this girl engaged, and I'm not, right? So then, her, my, my Malak goes to Shemayim and says, I want to see her books. I want to see why she's engaged, and my girl, Ruchi, is not engaged. And they have to take her books out. And once they open up the book, and she talk, it doesn't deserve it, they're going to take it away from her. 
So that's why we try not to show anybody anything, so they don't say, why her and not me, right? So that is the Ayin Hara. That has, that's how Ayin Hara works. And some people give you Ayin Hara's no matter, you don't have a fancy car, you don't have a nice dress, you're just very jealous people, and they're jealous that you have a scar, you know, on your cheek. Oh, I wish I had such a scar. I think I, you know, I, and you're like, are you kidding me? I want to get plastic surgery to cover it up, and you're jealous of it? Some people are jealous of everything, you have to be very careful. Now, there's a very interesting Tamim and Hagim that asked the question, why is it called Ayin Hara? It should be called Enayim Hara. You don't look at a person like this, oh, I'm jealous. You look at a person with both your eyes, right? So it should say, Enayim Hara. Bad eyes, not bad eye. He says something beautiful. He said, if you look at a person with both your eyes, and you would see the whole story, you would never be jealous. So it's called Ayin Hara because you're only looking with one eye. If you look with both eyes, you wouldn't be jealous. You'd understand a person who has both eyes open, they're able to see everything. They'd understand that whatever I'm supposed to have, I have. And whatever she's supposed to have, she's there. But when you when you have an eye in raw, when you have one, when you close one eye, and you only see a little bit of the picture. Oh, why does she have this and I don't? There's a very famous story that Kina and Sinna, Kina is jealousy, and Sinna is hatred. And the two of them were walking down the street, Kina and Sinna, and they met the king. And the king wanted to play a little game on them, so he said to them, "Listen, this is the deal. Whatever you ask me for." Whoever asks it, I will give him, I will give him what he asked me for. But the other guy will get double of what the first guy asks. So each guy's like, I'm not gonna ask for anything. I'm gonna get a hundred dollars, he's gonna get two hundred dollars. Forget it. I'm gonna get a million dollars, he's gonna get two million dollars. I'm gonna get one house, he's gonna get two halves. So they both, because they didn't want the other one to get double, they didn't ask for anything. So the king's like, listen, if you're not gonna ask me, you got two more minutes. You're not getting anything. So Kinna, which is jealousy, looked at the king and said, I know what I want. So Sinna was like, ooh, I'm going to eat whatever he does. I'm going to get double. So Kinna says to the king, you know what I want? I want you to knock out one of my eyes. So that way, both his eyes will get knocked out. Sometimes, we don't, we, we will, we don't mind getting hurt as long as he gets more hurt. It's, I, do, I have this in school all the time. You know what I mean? If you punish me, no recess... It's okay if you punish him, he doesn't get two no recesses. That's how you are. Why do, why do people listen to bad, why do people listen to the news? I'm driving, I'm, I'm, I have my, 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 my Rav Shimshim Pinkus tape, I'm on, the, I'm on the road tonight for who knows how long, just raining and raining and raining. So, I put on the news. Two people jumped off to George Washington Bridge today, one person murdered another person in Suffern. I'm just listening to this news, it's like unbelievable. Twenty people got killed through this tornado system, um, about forty cars fell into a sinkhole in Arkansas, right? And here I'm listening to, and I'm like, why do people listen to the, I don't usually listen to the news. Why do people listen? Now they had this show, they had this news that was called Good News. Like four years ago, they came out with a, with a Good News, in other words, just telling you, babies were born, marriages, all this stuff. It lasted for three months. Nobody was selling out. Nobody wanted to hear it. Why? It's simple. If I'm going to listen to good news, it's going to make me depressed. Like, oh my God, they had a baby. Oh my God, they made money. There's two new billionaires. It's going to kill me. I'm, I don't want to hear that. I'll turn the channel. But when I hear bad news, oh, two people jumped off the George Washington Bridge. Well, even though I'm not feeling so great, at least I'm not where they are right now, right? So the more bad news you watch, right, there's this thing called the Indy 500. Indy 500 is a race 500 times around the track. A bunch of cars going around the track 500 times. Sold out every single year. What are those people sitting there? Mm -hmm. 
So they asked them, why, why do you come and sit six hours in the sun to watch a bunch of cars go around 500 times? And they said, you want to know the truth? I'm hoping there'll be a real good crash. That's the truth. They don't want to watch a car go around 500. They want to be able to sit in the crowd and say, oh my God, I feel so bad. I think he's dead. He's burning in his car. Wow, that's what I came for. That's what we're based on. Boxing. People go to boxing matches. They want to see a guy get punched till he's laying on the floor. Wrestling. Right? Wrestling. Well, we're based on, because if you get hurt, and I did it, I feel good. That's why, yes, W-I-N-S, 22 minutes, gives you the world, the world of pain. The world of people going through pain, and newspapers are full of pain, and then the rags, like the Inquirer and all these real rag papers, they're the, they, they sell... They, 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 why are they so on fire? It's half of it's not true because who are you the most jealous of? Actresses and actors and Hollywood and okay, she's beautiful and she's an actress, but now she's divorced twenty five times, right? And she's a drug addict. Let me buy that newspaper. So deep down, deep down, right? I hate to say it, it's the human nature, right? The more bad I hear, the more I'm like, well, it didn't happen to me. It makes me feel good. It's sick. It sounds very sick, but that's the way it is. So, I and Hara works on sort of like, it's not that I don't have a Maserati. I'm living without a Maserati. But I want to see it taken away from him. In other words, I don't have one. I don't really even need one, but he can't have one either. That's how I and Hara, that's how I and Hara works. That's the power of I and Hara. So now, Clyde's role so, so, so when you, once they open your books, you, you got big problems. So, so, so the truth is, girls ask me, so, so I walk in, how do you, you know, how do you stop? So what's with the red string, right? What's up with the red string? You know what the red string is? So I shouldn't look at your clothing, and I shouldn't look at your hair, and I shouldn't look how beautiful you are, and I shouldn't look at you. Red, red attracts the eyes. So if I'm wearing a red string, you're gonna, you, your focus is gonna be on that red string. That's the whole thing. That's the whole thing. Yes. No, you shouldn't publicize it. You should not publicize your sad things, and you you shouldn't. You know, I, I I do have to tell you that you know there are many people. You ask them how many children do you have or grandchildren, and they won't they won't give you a number. And then some people will say like, "Wow, I heard you're doing good in business," and they'll just say, "No, nah, we just lost a lot of money." Because they don't want people to be jealous. But you're not supposed to go around talking about your sad things. About, about, your, about anything. The, the shtika is the, is the mission of Pirkei Elvis says. There's nothing better for your life or your, your physical life, spiritual life, and mental life than shtika. It's a little quiet life. Don't, don't, flat, don't, don't rip everybody's eyes out. Because what's going to happen is someone's going to say, why her and not me? Once they open those books. So on Yom Kippur, that's why we fast and we dominate. And it's so dangerous. Because on Yom Kippur, they open our books. So... I went looking. Yes, you can pour lead and it helps. Somehow it helps Ayinhara, whatever it is. But how do you really stop? How can you really stop Ayinhara from hurting you? So if you're born in Ador Shaini, you can't get an Ayinhara. If you're from Shevet Yosef, you also can't get an Ayinhara. But the real way not to get an Ayinhara is one way. Not to give anyone else an Ayinhara. Not to be jealous of anyone else. Not to open... Anybody else's book? What happens? So I look at this guy, Maserati. And I'm like, why does he have a Maserati? And Rabbi Wallerstein doesn't. They go up to Shemayim. My Malach says, Hashem, 
Why does Chaim, 19-year-old guy, have a Maserati, and Rabbi Wallace doesn't? Open up his books. I want to see. My Malach says, I want to see his books. And Hashem says, well, you can't see his books. You know why? Because Chaim, who has a Maserati, never opened up anybody else's books. And God is very into Mida Keneged Mida. If you didn't open up anyone else's books, and you were not jealous, then nobody has the power to open up your books. No matter how big an eye and horror they give, they can't touch your books. Which now brings me to the answer to what's going on over here. So over here, the Malach of Mitzrayim made Hashem open up our books. And our books said that we were and we do not deserve to break Teva. So Hashem, sitting on his throne of Din and MS, could do nothing. He's MS. He could do nothing. So he told Moshe, in a very strong Russian, Loma you can cry to me, you can daven now, till you're blue in the face, I can't help you. I can't help you. Tefillah is not going to help you. The only way I can help you is, you want me to break Teva? If you break Teva, if you break Teva, if you break nature, then you could say, Mida Kenege Mida, Hashem, we as the Jews, we broke our nature, so now you can break the Yam's nature. So Hashem said, don't yell at me, yell at the Jews, and tell them, that's what Rashi said, it's not up to me, said Hashem at this point, at this point I can't help you, because I'm MS, it's up to them, tell them, tell them to go into the Yam, and that's what he did, he went into the Yam, right, and the water went over his nose, and therefore there was no way Teva naturally that Nachshon could, could breathe anymore, so he forced, right, a miracle, because he broke his nature, I can't breathe. I'm doing what you told me to do, God. I now, in the natural world, will drown. So Hashem was forced because he broke his nature. Hashem had the power, Midah Kenegin Midah, to split the Yamsuf. And every single person in this room has that power. And I never understood my Rebbe, Rabbi Gamliel, tells every girl that comes for Shidduchim, no matter how old she is, he says, if you want a Shidduch, do Kibbut of Aim. And they're like, Rabbi Walsh, what does Kibbut of Aim have to do with the Shidduch? So you all know that the Gemara says that a Zivug, a Shidduch, is as hard as Kriyas Yamsuf. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean it's as hard as Kriyas Yamsuf? Kriyas Yamsuf for Hashem is not hard. Right? It's not hard for him to create. He can do anything. The answer is, no! Kriyas Yamsuf, according to this Rashi, was very hard. It was impossible. Hashem couldn't do it. Hey, my dad, Hey, my dad, so it was very hard. So what's a shidduch? For a shidduch to work, the, the man and the woman have to break their nature because a man's nature and a woman's nature are exact opposites. So if you want a marriage to work, the man has to break his nature and the woman has to break his nature. But a girl who's struggling with shidduchim, what is the secret? So my Rebbe said, give it up the aim. Because usually at that point, you're not that close to your parents. You're a teenager or whatever it is. And therefore, if your mother yells at you, Right? And it's your nature to answer her back or to storm out of the room. Instead, you say, yes, mom, you're right. I love you, even though she's totally wrong. Right? And you're, 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 you're so upset inside and you break who you are, then you, in turn, can ask Hashem, you know what? I just was insulted and, and I didn't answer. So now, I need a shidduch. And maybe, and I'll tell you a crazy story. I'll tell you a crazy story about a shidduch. Crazy story. So this Rav Shani, big Makobo, he comes to my house. He hasn't been by me for a while. He's a very big Fardic Makobo, and he's very famous. Rav Kaplan wrote about him. He does numerology, and he reads palms. So 
Girls like to get their palms red. I don't believe in it because your lines change all the time. So every time you wake up in the morning, your neshama writes new lines. So you're going to read your palm, and tomorrow's going to say something else anyway. But, and I'll prove it to you. So I studied it a little bit with him. I know I know I could read a palm a little bit, certain things. So there, there are lines on a person's hand that are called marriage lines. Where if you look at the line, there's a line, you can see pretty much what age they're going to get married, how many times they're going to get married, right? These are lines on a person's hands. And next to those lines is children. So there's one girl who's in her 30s, who I know very well, and she came to my house and she just, she just had had Shiduchim for a long time, it just wasn't going. And she asked him to read her hand, and I was really against it, but he looked at her hand, he says, Bezrat Hashem, it's going to be about 12 to 14 months, Bezrat Hashem, I see a Shidduch coming, whatever it is. And she left. And I know him, and I knew and he looked at her hand because he said a little closer, do this, do that. And he's looking and he's looking. He doesn't have to look like that. I knew she didn't have any lines. I knew she did not have any lines. When she left, I turned to him and I said, Roshani, does she have a marriage line? He says, no. Children? No. I said, so what do we do? I said, what do we do? He says, Tfilah? Tfilah? But according to her life, with the way she came into this world, she wasn't supposed to ever get married or have children. It wasn't her, what she's supposed to be doing here, whatever it is. She's very close to me. And I was freaking out. I was like, oh my gosh, because Tzilah, we need a miracle. It's not there. The lines are not there. I haven't have seen the lines weren't there, because when she put her hand there, I was looking with him, whatever it is. So, okay. Fine. About a year later, after this whole thing took place, I'm not going to get into the whole story because maybe someone knows who she is, but to make a long story short, her parents went somewhere for Pesach, was totally against everything that she stood for. She was not going to go. Whatever it was, whatever it was, whatever it was. Bottom line, she's not going. And her mother said, if you don't come, you just know we're going, and the whole family, you're not going to be there. You're going to embarrass us. Everyone's going to say, where is she? Whole family, you're going to embarrass us. I will never forgive you. But on the other hand, mixed swimming, modern, it just wasn't, you know, she's very, it wasn't for her. So we had this balance, whatever it is. And I called my Rebbe, Rebbe Gamliel, and I said, what should she do? He said, 100% she has to go. She cannot embarrass the parents in public. Don't go to the pool. Don't go to the pool. Go to the Seder. By davening, sit in a corner. Work your way around it. You cannot embarrass your parents in public. You cannot do that. And it made her so crazy. She was like, I can't go, I can't... She went. She went. It was the hardest thing for this girl to do because she's... She's mamish l'shem shemayim. This was for her, like, she would have rather walked into fire. Mamish, right? She did it. Within a year of her going to that against her will, she was married. And she's about to have a kid. And she's about to have a kid. So lines, schmines, right? No lines on her hand, yes lines on her hand. If you break your teva, if you break your nature, even naturally, you're not supposed to be married. Naturally, it's not, you're not supposed to have children. It doesn't matter. Because if you break your teva, you can ask Hashem that even when he's sitting on his din, on his chair of din, you can ask Hashem 
to break your teva that's supposed to happen to you and to do miracles. And that happens, that has to do with refuos and Yeshua's. Now you're all sitting here thinking, great, I could do that. So I thought the same thing. That's only when you're prepared for it and that doesn't count. When you get insulted and hurt, not to answer back, when you're not ready for it, I'm the Rebbe who teaches this. Two years ago in my seminary, somebody said something that was insulting in public. And oh my gosh, I went after her. I went after every single class in my seminary and explained to them and that they don't have a cross of Tovin. And I had a chance to bring Mashiach because had I just sucked it up and not said one word, right, and just walked out of the school and been embarrassed but didn't answer, I would have had crazy power. So every single person has that kayach to break their nature and when, and you know, there's, there's a whole thing that if a, if a man's walking down the street and there's a girl walking down the street and she's not dressed correctly and he looks the other way, instead of, instead of looking at her, he looks the other way, he can ask for anything in the world and a Kershbocha will give it to him. Now, you can't go in the middle of the summer in July, like my boys last night, like, great, Rebbe, we're going to go in the middle of summer, it's 95 degrees, to 47th Street in Manhattan, where all the girls are walking by and we're going to look the other way and we're going to get whatever we want. I'm like, no, it doesn't work that way. You can't set it up, right? The Gemara, the Gemara brings down, thank you very much. I'm sorry that I'm late. I'm sorry. So the, the, the Gemara brings down a story where this man walked through a bathhouse of women. And he walked through the whole bathhouse of women, the Gemara says. And he, and he didn't open his eyes. When he came out of the bathhouse, he didn't open his eyes. The, the Chachamim that was standing there said, Russia, you're a Russia. So the Gemara asked, Russia, he was in a woman's bathhouse and he didn't open his hand, open his eyes. Tzaddik! Tzaddik Gomor! Right? How can he not open his eyes? And the Gemara answers, you're a Russia for putting yourself in that position. He should have walked around the bathhouse. So you can't go into the middle of Manhattan where there's people not dressed and say, I'm looking the other way around. That, that's, not, that's not what it's talking about. So I'm going to end, because it's very late, but I've got to tell you two very short stories. First, well, actually two stories, and I want to read you an email that I got yesterday. So, one story is like this. I think I might have said it here. I'm going to say it to you very fast. So there's this little boy who, his rabbi calls up his parents and says, I need you to come to school right now. Parents get into the car, they come to school, they ask the rabbi, what's going on? They say, your little son Chaim, there's a very big problem with him. For the last two months, by gym, by lunch, sometimes in class, he talks to himself. He mumbles and he talks to himself. I think he's a little psychotic. Sixth grader talking to himself and mumbling. And the parents are like, you know what? For the last two months, he's been doing this at home too. We thought it's only at home, it'll pass. He's also doing it in school. Rebbe says, listen, I don't really want him back in class because it's like very weird. I'm in the middle of teaching and I'm, or in the middle of gym and he starts talking to himself. I need him, when he take him to a therapist, after he goes to the therapist, I'll take him back. So the parents are very upset. They make an appointment Friday. The little boy comes to the therapist. The therapist sits down with the little boy and says, okay, before we get into why you're mumbling and why you're talking to yourself, if you could just tell me what you're saying when you mumble. Are you cursing? Are you saying bad words? Um, are you saying good words? What are you saying? He's like, no, I don't really want to talk about it. I don't really want to talk about it. Anyway, she finally gets him to talk about it. This is what he says. He says, two months ago, my Rebbe got up in class and he told a story. It's a true story. And Rav Chaim, tells the story. Rav Chaim Kainevsky, the Galador, says the story very often. It happens to be, this is a separate story, but there's a story with, with Rav Yoshev's mother who got insulted in public and didn't answer, Right? And Rabbi Yashar was born that, that year. It's a very famous story. So Rav Chaim, you understand, is 
Well, but this is not the story. Anyway, the story is like this. So the Rebbe says the following, that there was these, this, this woman and husband who didn't have children for 15 years, and they, 14 years, and they came to Reb Chaim Kayanevsky, and they asked him for a bracha for children. And Reb Chaim said, what's the situation? What did the doctor say? And the woman said, the doctor said that I don't produce an egg, and I cannot have... I cannot have children. My husband could have children, but I cannot have children. So we need we need a, we need the rough to do some a miracle for us. A mitzvah. And Chaim said, I don't do miracles. I could daven for you, but this is the right for you know the doctor. I could daven for you, but miracles I don't do miracles. But he said, but I'll tell you what, find somebody who got insulted in public and didn't answer. Get a bracha from that person. You'll have a child. They're like Chaim, we came to you. They thought they were just getting pushed off. Please give us a bracha. Don't leave, don't let, he says, he says, I, I can't give you, they want to have tacha, right? He says, I can't, I don't do miracles, this needs a nace, but Derech she can't have children, it's already 14, 15 years, it's past 10 years. Find someone who got insulted in public and didn't answer. So these two walked out very upset, in other words, the girl though is pretty much telling them they're not having children. A year later, in B'nai Brak, there's a wedding. And at this wedding, the, 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 the mother, was divorced, and she was not invited. It was a very bad divorce. The mother of the Kala was not invited. But she decided she's coming to the wedding anyway. And she wants at least one dance with her daughter. So she comes to this wedding where she's totally not wanted, and she comes to the circle where her daughter's dancing, and the ex-mother-in-law starts to scream at her in front of everybody. And she's screaming, you ruin my son's life and my grandchildren's life. Get out of here. You're a machshefa. You're a witch. And, and you're not allowed to be here. And in front of everybody, in front of the kawa, in front of the kawa, the, 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 the machatana, in front of everybody. And everybody's standing there. And this woman is just ripping this ex-daughter-in-law to pieces. And she doesn't let her dance with her. And this ex-daughter-in-law turns around and walks out. And this girl who didn't have children for 15 years is at the wedding. And all of a sudden, she she hits her. Oh my God! Whoever got more insulted than this? And she didn't answer, so she runs after her, and she catches up to her, and she says, "Give me a bracha. This is my name. This is my husband's name. Give me a bracha that I should have a child." She's bracha. Did you just see what happened? I'm a nobody. I can't even dance with my own daughter. My bracha means nothing. No, Rav Chaim said, "I never saw someone get insulted like that." You didn't answer back. Rav Chaim, please, I'm begging you. It doesn't hurt you. Give me a bracha. She gives her a bracha. Four months later. This woman who didn't have children is pregnant. She goes to Rav Chaim. Tell Rav Chaim, by the way, you remember a year ago I came for a bracha, you told me that. Tell the story with the woman. And, ah, ah. He says, I'll give you a bracha, you shouldn't have a miscarriage. You should have a baby, you should be healthy. If it's a boy, you want me to be sandik? I will be sandik by this baby. She has a boy. Rav Chaim Kainesky is sandik. The woman who got insulted in front of everybody comes to the, comes to the bris. Baruch Hashem, unbelievable, amazing story. Rav Chaim says it to everybody. He says, you want a bracha, don't come to me. Find, you want a miracle? Find someone who got insulted in public and didn't answer. She has the strength, or he has the strength, to do miracles. Because they broke their nature. They, he tells that, so the, so the, so the therapist says that that's a very nice story. Your Rebbe told you, what does that have to do with anything? Now this is a fifth, I think he was a fifth grader. Listen to the godless of this little boy. So he says to the therapist, you, I really don't want you to tell anybody, but I'll tell you what I do. So every day after davening in my class, my Rebbe says ten names of sick people, and then we say, He said, I wrote down, after he told the story, I wrote down the ten names of the sick people, and I memorized them. So now, by recess and by lunch, 
or in class when anybody insults me and calls me names, instead of answering them back, I say under my breath the names of the sick people because Rav Chaim said that I could do miracles. You hear this? This is not a 25, 30, 40 year old person. This is a little kid. Was he mumbling and cursing? No. So at home, when his brother said, you're stupid, you're ugly, you're this, instead of answering back, he said, he said, he said, my lists. What a, what a crazy, crazy story. That's the kaya of every single person. And that's the secret that came in this parsha. Hashem said, right now, you don't got no lines on your hand. You're not getting married. I can't help you. Because I'm going to open up your books. You're not going to get a line on your hand. You went against your will so your parents won't be embarrassed. You broke your teva. You sat there for eight days and suffered and broke who you are so they shouldn't feel bad. You'll get a shidduch. And you'll have children. And you'll get a good shidduch. So that's the koyach. That's the secret of this Rashi. Rashi said, Hashem said, there are times that all of us need something. There are times we dominate Hashem. There are times Hashem saying, you need a miracle. If you want a miracle, then you got to do a miracle. How does a person do a miracle? They break their nature. That is the Kayach. And I want to end tonight because there was a lady in Borough Park. Her name was Adele Taub, Oliver Shalom. Adele Taub, we lived, my parents are Yekis, are Germans, who lived in Washington Heights. And they moved to Borough Park to 44th Street and 10th Avenue when they were very young, when I was just, when I was, I was born in Borough Park. And my mother didn't know Shabbos, uh, cooking, uh, cholent and kugel. With the Yekis, everything is like, cold food on Shabbat. It's very different then. She taught her how to make matzo balls and she taught her. And she took me, my brother, my sister, like, she had no children. Mengala did some crazy experiments on her. And her and her husband never had children. Her name was Adele Taub. But they were the most beautiful, sweetest couple that you ever met. And had a lot to do with my upbringing and my parents, how from they became, she had a very big effect on my mother and my father. And we always stayed close to her. And one day, she had no children. One day, my mother was wheeling the carriage with me and my brother, and she turned to Mrs. Taub, all of a shalom. And the reason I'm telling you this is my mother told me this on Cholomai because she died. She was in her nursing home. She died this Cholomai. So my mother came over to me, and I happened to use it in one of my speeches where I was, and she said, I just want to tell you that Adele Taub just passed away. I want to tell you a story that happened with me and her. So my mother was wheeling the carriage, and my mother turned to her and said, you're so religious, very religious. You know, a little Hasidish like religion. She had the Arab Shabbos, that little apron, you know, with the white kerchief. She was like, you're very European. She said, my mother said, you're so religious. Don't you ever feel bad that you don't have children? My mother was very close to her. Like, like, how do you deal with that? So she said to my mother, I have children. My mother said, you don't have children? She goes, no, I have children. My mother's like, where are your children? She says, in Israel. She says, you were married to someone before? She goes, no. I have children in Israel. So she never spoke about this, but my mother was pushing. So she said, okay. I don't talk about it, but I want to tell you what happened in Auschwitz. She said, we were a bunch of young girls, 12, 13-year-old girls, and... It was very hard. We didn't have food. We were suffering. Mengele was doing these terrible experiments on us. So one of the girls in the barracks decided that she's going to give up her life. She's going to try to get out of Auschwitz, but you can't. So they had this crazy barbed wire. 
So she ran and tried to climb the barbed wire, which of course she couldn't. And this happened to many children. And she got caught on the barbed wire. And the Nazis, the rule was, if you take that person down, they shoot both of you. So Nebuch, we can't even understand this. There were kids, there were, there were women and kids on the barbed wire that you had to come out every day from the barracks and you'd see them, watch them die and listen to them scream out in the middle of the night. It's crazy that these people came through and, and I, and I front today. We got problems because, you know, because my nail, I cracked my nail, right? You know, we got big problems. So, 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 Adele Taub tells my mother that this girl was her friend. So, she didn't even think about it. So she was stuck on the barbed wire and she couldn't get up, she couldn't get down. And she just ran over there and just pulled her off. And she pulled her off and there was a Nazi there. And for some reason he didn't kill her, he just beat her. He beat her and he said, you want, you want to save her? You can go to the barracks with her. And she saved her. And this woman, this girl, grew up, went there to Israel after the war, grew up, had children, had grandchildren. And Adele Taub said, those are my children. She was dead. She was gone. Those are my children. They're her children. They're also my children. There are moments in life where a person can do Kriyat Yamsuf, can have children that are not theirs, but become theirs because of a moment, not the talk and not the speech is the, is the Iker, but the action is the Iker. So, tonight's shir is Lili Nishmas Adel Tal. This very special woman who was a very big part of my life, who, in a moment, as a young 13, 14 year old girl, ripped a girl off a wall, putting her life in danger. We, we don't. And what? And, and, and right, and Malka's brother, what was your brother's name? What? Rafael Ben Yochanan, she just got up from Shiva. And I want to end with this email that I got um, from a girl. And this is why I made it through all the traffic tonight. To hear, I mean, the shear is the shear, but to hear this. And I want to tell you that because of this girl, she opened up something in my mind that I never saw before. And even though this is going to be a little bit painful, um, this girl is 17 years old never went past 8th grade and wrote this, you'd think the person who wrote this is the greatest writer of, of all time and she's in a lot of pain as you'll hear, she's in a lot, a lot of pain and she came to me for some answers on how to get out of this pain, so I'm going to read this to you I'm sorry if I trigger anything but I want to tell you after I read this to you what my answer to her was Okay, so there's a few things you want, you, you'll understand but it's not what it says exactly, I'll explain it to you so this is what she wrote to me. It's burning inside. Burning a huge hole in every part of my body. My heart is the problem. It's on fire. It's burning and raging with so many mixed emotions. Sparks of anger, confusion, loneliness, helplessness, and despair are infused into my bloodstream. Igniting my blood, sending this searing burning sensation and leaving holes in every part of my bearing, my being, tearing through, exploding into huge raging flame that slowly burns away all the layers until it reaches the core, my deepest part of my soul. My soul, my being, my entire me is oozing pain. I am so done 
to a crisp and ashes that I feel like every breath is a struggle and I wish it was my last. I tried extinguishing the fire. My first attempts were telling myself she went through, through some abuse. My first attempts are telling myself the fire is not there. I know. I tried denying that the burning is there and just drag some hidden emergency fire resistant cells and bring them forward because I need to move on or at least show people that I am moving on. But slowly but surely, the cells emerge from their membrane, I don't know where she got this from, and soon they are also burnt to a crisp. I have no more cells to spare. So I turn to my next method. Now she's talking about taking drugs. And I try spraying some chemicals on the wounds. But I don't realize that I have to cure the initial burning, the root of the flame. But I don't know where to take the strength from. I don't have anything big and strong enough that can stand against this fire. So I secretly spray more and more chemicals. What she's saying is she's secretly doing more and more drugs on the wound. And the wound gets worse and worse. And then even really strong chemicals no longer work. And the fire rages on. The wounds and burns turn to third degree. I can't even tolerate it on any level. And it's starting to get, I'm starting to get more and more numb. People intervene. Now she's talking about going to a psychiatrist. People intervene. But they give me really strong drugs that are not meant for the kind of flame I have raging inside. Like a bunch of tranquilizers and stimulants all at once. So she realizes that the pain she's going through, drugs are not working, tranquilizers are not working, Making believe it doesn't exist is not working. This kid is very in contact with herself. I don't know what to do. The fire is raging and burning out of every fire of my being, every fiber of my being, not leaving a muscle or even a hair cell to help me carry on. And when things are burnt out, it's hard to get back because some things are irreplaceable and and irreparable and gone for, uh, forever. They leave eternal scars. Things like third degree burns. The email she sent me. And what am I supposed to answer her? This is a kid who went through, as you see, right? Nothing is putting out the pain. So she's sitting in my office in front of me, and I'm thinking to myself, I never heard someone describe what they're going through through a fire. This is all about third degree fire, fire raging, fire burning. Now, I happen to be very interested always in fires. And I used to study all these big forest fires, right? Sometimes, right, there's one right now in California. They're just millions of acres. You just can't put them out. There's just not enough water to put them out. So how do you put out a raging forest fire? Do you ever hear the saying, you you fight fire with fire? Do you know what that means? Anyone here know what that means? I'm sure you've heard it a million times. You fight fire with fire. So I'll explain to you what it means. You have a fire coming down the forest this way, millions of acres. You don't have enough water to put it out. What do you do? You create what's called a fire line. Ten miles down away from the fire, the firemen light their own fire, a controlled fire that burns miles and miles and miles and miles of forest. What happens when this fire comes down to that point Everything's burnt already. It has nothing to live on. It goes out. It's called a fire line. That's what firemen use in huge, huge fires. They burn 
10 miles of wood. By the time the fire, when the fire gets there, it goes out because it has nothing to burn on. And that's what it means. You fight fire with fire. You want to put out a big fire? You have to light another fire. So I looked at her and I said, Godless. Psychiatrist pills ain't working. Make you believe it didn't happen? Not working. Drugs? Not working. We got to fight fire with fire. There's only one other fire. Pain is fire and love is fire. Those are the two fires. There's no other fire in the world, in the emotional world. The two fires in the emotional world is pain and love. The only way you can fight this fire is a whole lot of love. So I told her, you got to come to my high school. Come to my high school, we'll put out your fire. Because my staff, the most loving, unbelievable people in the world. I said, that's the only way you can put out a fire. When someone's in, a, in pain, you got to make a fire line. you got to give them so much love that their pain has nothing to burn on anymore. There's nothing to burn on anymore. Because pain can't burn on love. You have to give them that much love. You have to create a love line, a fire line, that when that fire gets there, it goes out. It doesn't have anything to burn. And that explained to me something that I never understood before. Because it says that if you have a Yetzirah and it's burning inside of you, what do you do? What should you do? And they say, Yetzirah, I want to do this big Avera. So the Gemara says, what should you do? Schlep the Yetzirah into the base medrash. How's that going to help me? So now I'm going to have a burning Yetzirah in the base medrash. And the answer is no. The Yetzirah has a fire. There's a fire. There's a taiva. I want to do something wrong. I have, to, I have to make another fire to put out that fire. So the other fire is learning Torah. So if you slept into the base medrash and you get all psyched up and fired out about your learning, so then it automatically will put out the fire of the Yitzhahara. I never understood that Gemara until this girl wrote this email. So the lesson of this email is that no matter how much pain a person's in, if a person can get love and if a person could, it's a different level, but if a person can have a relationship with the Kaddish Baruch Hu and understand that his love for me even though it looks like I'm going through all this terrible stuff but I know deep down how much he loves me and the, the fire I can tell you this the, my, when I lost my father I was in sick pain I was in crazy pain he was everything in my life to me he was my father my Rebbe my friend my, my everything when he died there was a huge hole I quit Yeshiva I said I'm not going to be a Rebbe anymore Hashem you didn't say my father have a good day whatever right I'm a human I went through the same thing and what saved me all that pain that I had that I lost my father? The year that I lost my father, I opened up Ornava. And the fire, and what was going on in Ornava, and the, and the, and the, and the seminary, and the high school, and all that fire of creating something, and, and that, that, that fire doesn't allow the other fire to burn inside, to hurt you. And I have to thank her very much for this email, even though it's very, very painful, but I, I never heard pain compared in such a, a my, such a, Unbelievable how she did it prop by prop by detail, right? And I said at the end of this, I said, you know what? I, I don't have enough water to put out your fire. I don't have enough pills and I don't have enough psychology to put out your fire. But I can send you to a place where there's enough love to put out your fire. And she said, I'm there. And we'll see what happens. I'll let you know the end of the story. Well, that's a very big lesson. So, everybody, if you get insulted and you get hurt, don't answer back because you got a bullet. You'll be holding a bullet that you'll be able to do miracles. You'll be able to do unbelievable things. You'll be able to tell Hashem, you have to do a miracle for me because I did, I broke my Teva. You have to break Teva and you have to bring Mashiach and save Kleistro. Thank you very much. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.